tell you something interesting, at least I found it interesting, is that the last time we went through Tanya, it was a little bit different style of a class. Um, we weren't reading every word inside. But uh, when we came to chapter 7, we did chapters 7 and 8 together in one class. So we had one class where we condensed 7 and 8. And I put them together and basically said, these are the classes about Klippa and... Uh, why prolong it? Why, why speak about Klippa longer than necessary? It's interesting because today we're starting our third class just in chapter 7. <laughs> so we went from last time putting 7 and 8 both into one chapter to uh, chapter 7 itself on, it, on its own taking three, chap th th three lessons. So just to, to review... We were talking about Klipas Neuge, about what literally translated Klipas Neuge means the luminescent or the shiny husk. It's shining because you can see the godly spark within it that can be accessed. And what we're really describing is everything mundane that can be channeled to some type of godly purpose. Okay. So... We spoke about when that opportunity is squandered and when we engage in mundane things without any intent for the sake of heaven and how it actually causes the experience to become um, lower than neutral and how it becomes um, animalistic. And I think that's basically where we left off. Yeah, is that where we left off? Oh, and we spoke about the, the terms Osir and Mutter. That was an important concept. Yeah. Osir and Mutter. Yeah. Tied down and untied. Right. So the things. Right. We spoke, yeah, we spoke about. Food. We spoke about relationships. Right. There are things that can we be elevated. Sticky that we didn't learn to make <laughs> That's right. That's right. This we could call this whole Tanya share that what that. what you didn't learn in base Rifka. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, so we said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So just to, to back up, the, the last line that we read, we said, when something is usher, forbidden, it's tied down. Remember, we gave that whole long marshal about, is it tied down because it's forbidden, or is it forbidden because it's tied down? And uh, it caused a little bit of confusion, but just for the sake of uh, hopefully confusing you more, uh, we concluded that it is not tied down because it's forbidden, it's forbidden because it's tied down. In other words, it is intrinsically tied down. It's intrinsically uh, useless. It can't be elevated. Therefore, Hashem saves you the heartbreak and the wasted time and energy and resources and tells you, sweetheart, leave it alone, walk on by. Okay? Uh, so we said these things that are also that are forbidden and therefore um, what we know about them is that they are intrinsically not able to be elevated that they're not gonna they're, they, they're gonna just sit there until we said until Hashem will remove the spirit of impurity from the world as Surah Avim in Aretz Hashem says I will remove the spirit of impurity from the world uh, we will not be able to do it. We can only elevate the mundane, uh, but we can't elevate that which is uh, off limits. Okay. So that's where we left off. Yeah. 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 So, 
In that case, what you ate did not become elevated, correct? Right. So we did have a little bit of a discussion last week at the end of class where we were asking, just to refresh people's memory, what's the status of food that was consumed to save a life? Unkosher food, non-kosher food that was consumed in order to save a life. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little bit uh, complicated, but... Let's simplify it by saying, in that case, it is not us, sir. But I said that the food, the actual food that you ate, did not become elevated. Uh, it, it, I don't know how. I mean, it saved your life. Yeah. That's all there was. Yeah. So. In a in an indirect way, it is elevated. And by the way, the, these these concepts are not as simple as we present them. I mean, <laughs> elsewhere in Chassidus, it talks about you know you can't eat a horse, but you could ride a horse to go do a mitzvah. <laughs> so it's it's not it's not quite so simple. But for for our purposes here, and again, remember that Lakutei Amarim, the first volume of Tanya. Is not its job is not to explain exhaustively all of these mystical concepts. It's it's here to give us um, enough information that we can navigate our own personal growth. So a lot of these concepts are not developed here in Tanya fully. They're developed in other places in Chassidus. So the, the question of, of the status of f- forbidden food that becomes permissible in a, in a pikuach nefesh, in a life-saving uh, context, it's, uh, it's a little bit uh, not, not, not so straightforward. And we can get into that discussion, but uh, I want to I focus on the next thing he speaks about because it is, it is very very important. In fact, I might even say it's probably the most important question in terms of understanding our relationship with the forbidden. And, and that is after the fact, retroactively, is there any way to redeem that which is technically irredeemable? So I, w- I want to focus on this idea here. The, the last thing we said, as I, as I said, but I'll repeat again, is that there are certain things that are just irredeemable. That's what's called osir, halachically forbidden, literally tied down, and we can't deal with it. At the end of time, Hashem will come in. He'll clean up that which we could not clean up. Fine. Now, the next line he starts, he says, Oi, or, alternatively. <laughs> he just said there's stuff that's irredeemable. There's no way to elevate it. Only Hashem will come and clean it up when Mashiach comes. Or, or, another possibility. He does tshuva that is so great. How do we translate tshuva? Penitence. But really it's return. Returns to Hashem in such a great manner that his sins, and there are different words in the holy tongue for sin. Zdainis is probably the worst word for sin. It means wanton sins, purposeful sins. Sometimes you made a mistake. Zdainis are not mistakes. Zdainis mean... I knew what I was doing. I did it out of spite. It's the worst kind of sin. Yeah. What? Out of spite. Yeah. The worst type of sin. And even those sins can become merits. Now, what does this mean that the worst kind of sins can become merits? I understand that it gets expunged from the record. It won't be held against you. I understand that it can be... uh, 
that the negativity could be overlooked or even wiped away. But to say the negativity can become positive, how does that work? And, and it, that is what he's saying. So how does that work? So in other words, we've been discussing the prospect of, of Gimoklippus Atameus, the irredeemable, utterly unclean clippus. And we said, sort of categorically, hey, the definition of them is that they're irredeemable. So if you get involved with them, nothing's gonna, nothing good's going to ever come of it. But then we said this big asterisk, like, oh, hold on, though, there's, there's one caveat. Yeah, retroactively, there is such a thing where there's a chuva, not a regular chuva, but a really big chuva that could go and redeem the irredeemable and turn the negative into positive, to turn the wanton sin into an actual spiritual plus. Okay? So this is what we're discussing now. How does that happen? Okay, let's continue. Shehi tshuva miyava. First of all, as he begins to define this tshuva, he says it's a tshuva miyava. It's a tshuva that comes out of love. As opposed to what? Fear. Obviously, there are different motivations for tshuva. But the two general motivations would be and the two general emotions, like we spoke about in chapter 3, the two general emotional axes, the right and the left, love and awe. So the two general motivations for, for tshuva would either be out of love, <clears throat> a desire to come closer to Hashem, or out of fear. Fear of punishment, fear of judgment, ultimately the deepest fear, fear of separation. Here we're talking about the tshuva that comes from love, a desire to become close to Hashem or to get closer to Hashem. Mu'um kedaliba, from the depths of his heart, biyavirraba, with abundant love, v'chshika, and yearning, pining, v'nefesh sheikeka, and a soul that is longing, l'dov kebeis barach, to cleave to Hashem. So the, the motivation for the tshuva is, I want to get closer to Hashem, I'm yearning to get close to Hashem. This thing, this blot on my record, this is a separation. This is keeping me away from Hashem. I don't want to have it intercede between me and Hashem. And so my incredible love for Hashem is causing me now to reassess my feelings about this sin. What happens here? It's, it's a remarkable concept. Obviously, I did tshuva. I'm not going to sin again. I'm done with that. Not only I won't do it again, I regret that I ever did it. Right? Because you could say, I won't do it again, but I'm glad I know what it's like. <laughs> this is, no, I wish I never did it. But it's even deeper than that. I wish I never did it. And I'm in pain right now about the fact that this past experience is coming between me and Hashem. Pain or guilt? Not guilt, pain. pain. <coughs> I want to be close to Hashem. And I know that I did something that rejected that relationship. I told Hashem, get lost. Even if it was for one second. I told Hashem, hey, get out of my life for a second. I got to do what I want to do. Well, I hate that. I hate that I have that in my history. I hate that I have that in my story. Not because of guilt. Not because, no, because that, re that moment represents a moment of separation, a moment of of rejecting the relationship, and I want to be completely close to Hashem. So now, how do I feel about that spiritual failure, that moment of spiritual failure? How do I feel about it? Well, I, I, I feel like... I feel like it's a... 
It's a threat to my present cl closeness with Hashem. And when I think about it, it, it instills me with a feeling of a need to push, to get closer to Hashem. And therefore, here, here's, here's the pertinent idea. The practical effect, like the, the, the bottom line, what is the sin? <laughs> it, 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 you have to be very careful here. Because we're not justifying the sin. We're not glorifying the sin. But we're saying right now at this moment, in the present, what effect is this sin having on me? The practical effect is it's actually spurring me on to desire closeness with Hashem even more than had I not had that experience. So was it a positive experience or a negative experience? Well, it was a negative experience. But, <laughs> but it causes me, well, it doesn't directly cause me to come close to Hashem, but it causes me to feel a greater desire okay. or a more intense desire to fight that, overcome it, and come closer to Hashem. And the way he describes it is thirst. He calls it thirst. If we continue here inside. It's like a person in a parched desert who's thirsting, his soul is thirsting for Hashem. Can anyone have that experience? You're asking if there are prerequisites on this, like only certain people could even have this experience? To some degree, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, he's describing a category here. He's talking about a, not just a regular chuva. He calls it a great chuva. So there are two ways I could teach this. One way I could say is this is describing something that you, you've never experienced. <laughs> Maybe someday you'll experience it. The other way I could teach is I could say it's on a continuum. <laughs> And great is a, is a qualitative word. And uh, as good as good as besser nicht besser, you know, that it's. I, I prefer to teach it the, the latter way. So instead of saying, I don't know, this is some type of a category that we're going to learn about but not necessarily uh, relate to, let, 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 let's learn it like this. We all know what it means that. A moment of of failure becomes a motivation for greater success. We all know what that means. So that in 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 the end and in, in the end analysis, you look back and you say, "Well, was that was that a net gain?" I mean, at the moment, it was a loss, but. In the big picture, it was it was productive. So I think we can all relate to that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you you yeah. Okay, so you're making a, a very valid point, which is that if somebody's understanding of chuva is guilt based, mm -hmm. they may not end up coming to this kind of chuva. Yeah. Now, yeah. I'll, I, yeah, I would I would yeah, I would agree with that. 
So, so it's important that we're learning this. It's important that we're learning this. And it's important to, to understand that there are different types of tshuva. And like you say, if a person doesn't feel that the relationship with Hashem is based on love, then where would they even get the idea that they should return to Hashem out of love? Yeah, from, from a context of love. No, you can be forgiven even if you don't do tshuva out of love. See, see, that's the that's the point. <clears throat> Let's go back. Let's repeat this. Zdainus nasli kezachius. The negative. The the, the negative uh, occurrence. The moment of sin. Not only is expunged, erased, canceled out. That you could do with regular tshuva. No, it gets repurposed and transformed into an asset, into something positive. Because remember the context. We're speaking about here how to redeem the irredeemable. So we said, you can't. That's the whole purpose. I mean, that's, the whole, that's the whole meaning of irredeemable. Irredeemable means what part of irredeemable they do not understand. Irredeemable means it's irredeemable. It's, not, it's done. It's done. You cannot redeem this. If Hashem says that this is Asr, Asr means tied down. That's it. There's nothing can be done with it. Except, <laughs> except, after the fact, and you can't engineer this, and you can't do it on purpose, and call me Shaimer, of anyone who says, I'll purposely sin and then do tshuva, it won't work for him. But after the fact, now he fell into that which is irredeemable. If it so happens that his feelings about that relationship with the irredeemable becomes a driving motivation to have an intense relationship, an intense and loving relationship with Hashem today, well then, after the fact, what was the... Was it a net gain or a net loss? It was a net gain. Because it spurs you on to do it. Because it spurs you on. So he, call, he calls it thirst. He calls it thirst. He says, like a person in a parched desert who feels thirsty. Let's continue. Yeah? Yes. Where do we get it from? Have we from your soul. Okay. So our soul knows a loving relationship with Yeah, but at the same time, we got to talk about it, so your brain should know about it too. Okay. What makes you able to love Hashem? Your soul. It's embedded in you. It's 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 your hardwiring. What increases the odds that you'll actually act on that your education the fact that you are told that it's possible okay there's musical talent and then there's music lessons <laughs> so the fact that you come to this class already with a neshama you already have the ability for chuva ma'ava but the fact that we're talking about it increases the likelihood that you'll actually do that two things okay So he describes, he describes it as a thirst. Continuing the metaphor. Until now, his soul <clears throat> had been in a parched desert, a land of death, spiritually. Which means the other side, which we defined in chapter 6 as anything that's not for the sake of Hashem. Utterly distant from the light of Hashem's face. So the sin is being distant, putting oneself into a position of being distant from Hashem, removing oneself from the light of Hashem. And 
And now his soul is thirsting for Hashem with greater intensity than the souls of the tzaddikim. So ostensibly a tzaddik has a great desire for Hashem. I mean, we haven't really defined tzaddik yet. We'll define tzaddik in chapter 10. But uh, <laughs> we spoke a little bit about tzaddikim in chapter 1, but we didn't really explain who they are. But we know they're pretty, a pretty big deal. So ostensibly a tzaddik has a great desire for Hashem. And what we're saying here is that the person who was in a spiritual desert and becomes aware of the fact they're in a desert and they're, and they're thirsting for reconnection with Hashem, their desire for closeness with Hashem becomes more powerful than even that desire for closeness with Hashem that is felt by the tzaddikim. So then you have to ask yourself a question. Again, I mean, I'm repeating the same point over and over, but what was, what was the effect of the sin? You take that sin out of his story. Of course, if you would ask him, do you wish it never happened? Yeah, I wish it never happened. I hate it. I hate that it happened. Okay, we're going to take it out of your story. It never happened. Ah, but now there's no parched desert, there's no thirst, now you don't have that intense longing, that desire. So it's this irony, it's this catch-22, I wish that it never happened, but in a certain way, it's the greatest thing that happened to my relationship with Hashem, because the net effect is, that's what's spurring me on to desire with such intensity to be close to Hashem. Well, it's a very specific kind of pain. It's not just any pain. Pain of remorse. It's not any pain. It's a very specific pain. It's 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 the pain of feeling. Remorse. It's not just remorse because you could do that without love. You could have remorse without love. It is specific. It's not just regret. No, no. It is specifically the pain of separation from my beloved so love means a desire for closeness if we could simplify what is love love is a desire for closeness this thing is the opposite of closeness i had an opportunity to be with my beloved i told my beloved go take a hike while i go have some fun and at the moment I said it, it seemed to make sense. It seemed to, seemed to be a good idea at the time. And then afterwards, whether it's immediately after or it's years after, I look back and I say, why did I do that? Why did I tell my beloved, go take a hike, while I could go have a fleeting experience that has no value to me now? And it's not just the remorse, the regret, ugh. What a waste of time. It's more the, uh, the pain of, and, and, and even if I'll spend every moment now with my beloved, I will never get back that squandered moment where we could have had a moment of closeness. And we'll always have as part of our story that I rejected my beloved. And it, 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 it gets to me. It, it's, it's hurting me. I don't want that. What can I do about it? There's nothing. How do I take it back? You understand? It happened. It's done already. It happened. I hate that moment of, of, of distance. So <laughs> the fact that I hate it and wish it never existed is causing me now to have a greater intensity to want to be close to Hashem so that if the irony is if my wish were granted and you were, okay, fine, we'll take it out of your story. It never existed. But then I wouldn't have the intensity of desire to be close to Hashem that, that I have right now. Yeah. Person feels that Hashem created the guilt. No, no. The distance. Oh, that's a different. That's a, That's that's different. 
That's different. You're talking about a person who feels... You, you, you're talking about when a, when a person feels, where was God during this moment of... When I was going through my hardest time and I felt you know, Hashem was hiding from me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're not talking about that right now. <laughs> Look, this, this, is like, this is like marriage therapy. Right now, we've got to take one thing at a time, okay? Right, you know, the, the sometimes we're going to talk about what he did. Sometimes we're going to talk about what she did. Right now, we're talking about clear instances where there's no question that the distance was my fault. I caused the distance. Now, you're, you're raising a very good point. Sometimes I feel this distance in the relationship with Hashem, and I look at him like, hey, I wanted closeness. You didn't return my call. You didn't call me back. Okay, we'll talk about that later. Chapter 27. 26. 26. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're speaking, I'm not sure which you're saying this as a metaphor for closeness that we caused, I mean, distance that we caused or distance that he caused. Yeah, that's true too. Okay, let's not get too philosophical here, okay? We're describing here what is actually a psychological phenomenon. It's not, it's not that mystical. It's not that hard to wrap your mind around. Um, I had a, a negative experience, but the net effect of that negative experience is positive. Is on a practical level. On a practical level. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Can my modern zal? Let's continue. Like the famous saying. Of our sages, Bemakim Shabali Chuva Aimdim Khulo in the place where penitents stand, even the truly righteous cannot stand. What does that mean? That the intensity of desire, of longing for closeness that is caused by the past separation causes the, the Balchuva to have a greater yearning for Hashem than if he had never had that, that, that separation in his story. And the Tzadikim don't have that. Balchuva miyavar abazu amra shazdein nasalikazachias. Regarding such a chuva, we say that the past misdeeds become merits, not just that they're erased or canceled, but they become transformed, they become merits. Because they bring him to this intense love. So far, so good? Okay. Avo, however, Chova Shalaymi Avazu. Tshuva that is not coming from this kind of love. Afshi tshuva nechayna, although it is proper tshuva, meaning it's perfectly acceptable tshuva. Vashem yislachloi, and Hashem will forgive him. Meaning it is erased from the record. They're not going to bring it up in court anymore. Mikomokim loy kizachis. It doesn't turn the sins into merits. Just erases them, it cancels them. The ain oily mehaklipa legami ad ace kates shiavula movisla natsach. And that negativity won't be retrieved from its place in Klippa until the end of time when Hashem gathers up all the irredeemable stuff that we were talking about before. That's how we started. We, we, we started by saying there's stuff that you can't clean up, you can't deal with. Hashem will deal with it at the end of time. So now we're back to that idea again. If it's regular tshuva, 
then okay, fine. So it's expunged from your record. Move on. No one's going to hold it over your head. But as far as the the negative, you know, the spiritual uh, loss that was entailed, the only one who could repair that is Hashem, and you know, he'll do that. When Mashiach comes, you you just move on. Don't don't look back. We're done. Just move forward. All right. <clears throat> now, in case you didn't have enough of this last week, this is more of the the stuff that they skip in Beis Rifka. We did Shuvah Le'Av, though. Right. We did that part. Right. Tell me if you did this part. Achachayus shibetipazer shiyatsum emena levatolo. The vitality that is in the seed, that is, that is, yeah, that is issued in vain. Although, when the uh, the seed is issued in vain. So what happens to that chayas, to that vitality? It's a, it's a very powerful energy. I mean, it has the energy to, to, to give life, to create a baby. And now it's wasted. So that energy becomes captured within shalish klippus atameus. Yeah, within the irredeemable klippus. But you could get it back just with regular tshuva. You could redeem that, that energy. So the seed was wasted, and the energy becomes captive to the shalosh klippus of Timaeus, and the person who wasted the seed does tshuva nechayna, just regular tshuva. Regular tshuva means, that's not good, I'm not going to do that anymore. Regular tshuva. Want to get into the technicalities <coughs> of uh, what this is? Like, like you sin Ignorance of the law is not an excuse. Oh, right. Not an excuse. No. Another the corner. Okay. Everyone, un- I mean, without me being explicit, everyone understands that we're we're speaking about something that is a uniquely male biological phenomenon right now. Yeah. Yes. Right now, yes. So uh, he took the this amazingly powerful spiritual energy that's in the seed, and he wasted it. So now that energy becomes relegated to the shalosh klipas of Timaeus. How do you get it out of there? Chuva. What kind of chuva? Regular chuva. Regular chuva is good enough. Ubechavona atzuma bekrishma shalalamita kinedem arizal. Also, intense kavona during krishma shalalamita. When you say bedtime shma, again, this is male stuff. This is what well, is on the guys. Yeah, yeah, it's on the guys. <laughs> Why is it only on a man if it only means participating? Not, they're not always participating. Okay. Oh, oh, sorry. So this is, <laughs> where, so this is specifically where, where there was not a woman participating. And we'll speak about when there is a woman participating. Well, we, it's, we're going because it's, it's in the text. Yeah. It always, it always astounds me, by the way, how people can get through the system. I'm saying in Chabad, where, you, where they learn Tanya, and not know how to deal with this aspect of the human experience because it's dealt with so like, openly. openly in Tanya. Yeah, yeah. They either they skip it over or they, or they, they, they just go really fast. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so a male wasted seed. That's a terrible um, misappropriation of, of, of spiritual potential. This energy is now being 
given over into the hands of the clipper. It's a terrible thing. Okay, how does he get it back out after he realizes shouldn't have done that? So the Alter Rebbe says, Chuvan Chayna. That means just, I wish I didn't do that. And he should have intense kavana when he says the bedtime Shema, the Arizal talks about it. Um, Umaruma's the Gemara, the Gemara hints to it. Anybody who says Shema at, at the bedtime Shema very intensely, it's like he's holding a double-edged sword. To, you know, get away the bad guys. You like that, my yes, depiction of a sword? <laughs> okay. It's like my Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> hold the sword lower. You hold it lower? Yeah, yeah, you gotta hold the sword lower. I don't, I don't know. What do I, what do I know? It's not that impressive. Okay, I have, I have no idea here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to kill the bodies... We're not talking about physical bodies here, but the you know there's iron cleave, there's light and vessel, the, to, to to kill the bodies of the chetzenim, the extraneous forces, shenasu levush lechayis shibetipus that became a uh, a levush that 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 enclosed the vitality of the seed, va'ela chayis mehem, and then the 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 chayis, the vitality is able to be released and to to go up. Um, <coughs> like those who know Kabbalah understand. Velochim, therefore, here's an interesting concept. Where is the prohibition of wasting seed stated clearly in Torah? Clearly? Mm, nowhere. Forbidden relationships are listed. Forbidden relationships are listed. But it doesn't specifically say the wasting of seed outside of a relationship with anybody else. So he says here, That's why wasting seed um, isn't mentioned along with the other prohibited uh, relationships. You know why? Because it's in a different league. In certain ways, it's worse. In certain ways. <laughs> Each one has an aspect which is more egregious than the other. In different different perspectives, which we'll speak about momentarily. Af shechomer mehan. Wasting seed is actually worse in some ways, in some ways, than engaging in a forbidden relationship. Yeah, it's a greater sin in what respect? Volume-wise, the amount of negative spiritual forces that are put out through wasting seed are, are greater than when engaging in forbidden relations. It's more than forbidden relations. So you want to talk about quantitatively, what causes the greatest amount of spiritual pollution? Wasting seed. And that's why it's not even listed among them, because it's so much worse, quantitatively speaking. Why? Because it gives those... Watch how he explains the difference, okay? Rak, however... Forbidden relations adds vitality to a greater klippa, a worse klippa. That means qualitatively. Okay, what does that mean, that it's a qualitatively greater klippa? He explains, Regular tshuva can't pull it out can't retrieve that chayas. So here's the difference. You have the, the life force that, that is wasted through the emission of, of seed in vain. That actually causes quantitatively much more spiritual pollution. But qualitatively, it's not that hard to get it back. How do you get it back? You just realize, I don't 
I don't want to do that anymore. I feel bad that I did it. I'm done. You say a good Krishna Shalalamita, and you can get that life force back. But when there's an actual forbidden relation where you have two people who are forbidden for each other actually acting in an intimate way, now qualitatively it's worse. And how does that express itself? That regular tshuva can't get, can't retrieve the, the vitality that's in the seed. Unless he does that level of tshuva that we just described earlier, where it's the level where sins become merits. But regular tshuva won't work. With wasting seed, regular tshuva will work. With giving seed over to a forbidden partner, regular tshuva doesn't work. Was it tshuva ma'ava? Tshuva ma'ava will work. Tshuva Ma'ava will work because Tshuva Ma'ava can turn the negativity into positivity. So the person could say that that relationship that he had where that moment of, of, of acting that way separated him from Hashem and now that, that separation from Hashem becomes the impetus to this constant yearning for closeness to Hashem. So then again, it's a net gain. What causes him to yearn for closeness with Hashem is that is that forbidden relation that he was involved in. <clears throat> and now he explains the mechanics of it. I don't think it's that difficult to, to grasp this, at least on one level. Why is it irretrievable, or so difficult, I shouldn't say irretrievable, but barring tshuva ma'ava, why is it so difficult to redeem that experience, even through regular tshuva, he says, Don't be scared by the Kabbalistic terms. Yesoid de nukva de klipa. Yesoid is the ninth sphere. Nukva is the feminine aspect. Klipa is klipa, you know, negativity. So what happens? In forbidden relations, there's a spiritual uh, entity called Yesoid de nukva de klipa. Yesoid just means the interface. It's how one thing sort of latches on to another thing. You say it's also called hischabros or connection. <laughs> At any rate, when you have forbidden relations, so the seed was received and absorbed by, uh, not just physically, but spiritually as well. There's two parallel things going on right now. There's a spiritual and a physical thing. So in forbidden relations, so the seed was received, absorbed by this what we call Yesoid de Nukva de Klipa, Hamakabelis Vakeletis Achayas Megdusha. And it it receives it and it absorbs it. And now you want to go get that 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 vitality back, but the klipa is holding on to it. Not so when the seed was simply wasted. Sha'in Shombechinis Nukva de Klipa, because there's no spiritual recipient in that case. Again, you could understand this purely spiritually, or you could understand its physical parallel. I don't think it's that difficult to understand what he's describing here. <coughs> if the seed was wasted in a way where there was no recipient, so in a certain way it's worse, the quantity, the volume of pollution, of spiritual pollution is greater. But qualitatively, it's not that hard to get it back. You just do regular tshuva, and good kavana at Krishma Shalalamita. If, however, <clears throat> it was forbidden relations, so actually volume-wise, quantity-wise, it's not as bad as wasting seed, but qualitatively, it's much more difficult to do anything about it after the fact because there's a recipient that absorbed that energy, and now you can't just go and get it back. What? Clippa's not giving it back. That's right. Back. That's right. Clippa takes, it doesn't give. So, in Zerovatala, the Clippa didn't absorb it, it's hovering over it. Physically, the way, I mean, obviously, these are, we're using physical words to describe spiritual phenomena, but. In Zerovatola, the, 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 the clip's relationship with it is it's makif, it's hovering over it. 
when there's forbidden relations, then it's not hovering, it's a, it's, it, it received it, it absorbed it. <clears throat> yeah. We're going to get to that. Okay. <coughs> Rather, what happens with Zerolavatola is it says that the powers and the forces of the Klippa, they surround it. They're Malbish, the highest of the Tippus. They're surrounding it as opposed to it being absorbed within within them. And now we can understand the saying of our sages, what is a crooked thing that cannot be made straight? Somebody who has forbidden relations and they have offspring from the forbidden relations. Because then, even is not going to work anymore. Because you can't get the highest back. Why not? Because that energy already became materialized as the body of this offspring. So <clears throat> when it was just in a completely spiritual state, it's sort of in flux, and you can you can deal with it through emotional rearrangements that happen inside of your heart. You felt this way about the experience, now you feel a completely different way about the experience. And that's sufficient to change the location of the energy, to take it back, to redeem it. But when the energy already materialized and became, <clears throat> you know, the life force from this seed became this child, you, <laughs> how are you going to get it back? So then it uh, makes it a little bit more difficult, to say the least. Okay. <clears throat> Anyhow, is this stuff uh, that tough class? understood? Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. I don't remember learning this in detail last time. No. No, we didn't learn it in detail last no. time. No. Now, I said at the beginning of class, last time we went through the Tanya, we did seven and eight in one class. Oh, I see. And in this time, this. we took three classes just to do chapter seven. Well, look at this class. Look at this class, yeah. Anything else about this? Yeah. The, the, the never say never, but I don't know if I want to get into the, uh, the, the improper relationships, not the uh, you know the the seed and veins. Right. right. That's yeah. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? We're good for now. Yeah. But only if the, I don't the know,